Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Weird Tales Podcast. My name is Taiko Alhambra. Thank you for listening. Um, thank you all so much to everybody. First of all, this is the first announcement. I'm just jumping right into it. Um, thank you all so much for everybody who has kicked into my Patreon and who has uh, given some support over there. Uh, I really appreciate it. It has meant so much to me. Uh, this week, I hit uh, the 50-mile-per-month milestone. I'm really excited about that. Uh, I'm really happy with that. Thank you all so much for that. Um, I, I, it's, I launched my Patreon. When I was considering doing the Patreon, I said to my wife, I said, what if I do this and then nobody supports me? And she was like, well, then nobody supports you and you'll just have to deal with that. And I was like, okay, thanks. Uh, but um, here I am now sitting at $50 a month. And uh, just thank you all so much. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I uh, sent out a thank you email to everybody that is, that is kicked in. And uh, I'm just pretty much the same thing I'm going to say here is that all of the money that gets sent into the Patreon uh, gets funneled right back into the show. It's in a separate account kept separate from all of the other money that uh, my wife and I have. So there's no confusing how much money I've got to spend and all of that. Um, currently, right now, I've got $120 in that account. And that's just really, that's really just something, I guess. I, I don't have the words for it because it just still breaks my brain to think about the fact that people care enough about my stupid show to to actually uh, support it. But uh I'm looking into uh, getting some advertising done. Um, I have not gotten anything done yet. I haven't pulled the trigger on that yet, but I'm looking into it. Uh, and um, thank you all so much. I really appreciate it. It really means a lot to me. Um, I'm going to have to actually start making a list of all of the people whose names get mentioned on the show. And then I'll just do like five an episode. And then I'll have to make sure that I actually keep track of whose name is on those. Shut up. You don't care about that. All right. Hi. Um, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Um, Please feel free to, let's just, let's just front load everything. Please feel free to leave me a rating and a review on iTunes. Please feel free to support me on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Weird Tales Podcast. And uh, in a couple weeks, uh, we've got um, the Christmas Ghost Stories Season 2 coming up. So I should probably sit down and start recording those. That would be a thing I could do. All right, let's uh, get on to the uh, thrilling and exciting conclusion of The Pit and the Pendulum. Down, steadily down, it crept. I took a frenzied pleasure in contrasting its downward with its lateral velocity. To the right, to the left, far and wide, with the shriek of a damned spirit. To my heart with the stealthy pace of the tiger. I alternately laughed and howled as the one or the other idea grew predominant. Down, certainly, relentlessly down. It vibrated within three inches of my bosom. I struggled violently, furiously, to free my left arm. This was free only from the elbow to the hand. I could reach the ladder from the platter beside me to my mouth with great effort, but no farther. Could I have broken the fastenings above the elbow, I would have seized and attempted to arrest the pendulum. I might as well have attempted to arrest an avalanche. Down. Still unceasingly, still inevitably down. I gasped and struggled at each vibration. I shrunk convulsively at its every sweep. My eyes followed its outward or upward whirls with the eagerness of the most unmeaning despair. They closed themselves spasmodically at the descent, although death would have been a relief. Oh, how unspeakable. 
Still, I quivered in every nerve to think how slight a sinking of the machinery would precipitate that keen, glistening axe upon my bosom. It was hope that prompted the nerve to quiver, the frame to shrink. It was hope, the hope that triumphs on the rack, that whispers to the death condemned even in the dungeons of the Inquisition. I saw that some ten or twelve vibrations would bring the steel in actual contact with my robe, and with this observation there suddenly came over my spirit all the keen, collected calmness of despair. For the first time during many hours, or perhaps days, I thought. It now occurred to me that the bandage or surcingle which enveloped me was unique. I was tied by no separate cord. The first stroke of the razor-like crescent to thwart any portion of the band would so detach it that it might be unwound from my person by means of my left hand. But how fearful in that case the proximity of the steel! The result of the slightest struggle, how deadly! Was it likely, moreover, that the minions of the torturer had not foreseen and provided for this possibility? Was it probable that the bandage crossed my bosom in the track of the pendulum? Dreading to find my faint, and as it seemed, in last hope frustrated, I so far elevated my head as to obtain a distinct view of my breast. The surcingle enveloped my limbs and body close in all directions, save in the path of the destroying crescent. Scarcely had I dropped my head back into its original position when there flashed upon my mind what I cannot better describe than as the unformed half of that idea of deliverance to which I have previously alluded, and of which a moiety only floated indeterminately through my brain when I raised food to my burning lips. The whole thought was now present, feeble, scarcely sane, scarcely definite, but still entire. I proceeded at once, with the nervous energy of despair, to attempt its execution. For many hours the immediate vicinity of the low framework upon which I lay had been literally swarming with rats. They were wild, bold, ravenous, their red eyes glaring upon me as if they waited but for motionlessness on my part to make me their prey. To what food, I thought, have they been accustomed in the well? They had devoured, in spite of all my efforts to prevent them, all but a small remnant of the contents of the dish. I had fallen into an habitual seesaw or wave of the hand about the platter, and at length the unconscious uniformity of the movement deprived it of effect. In their voracity, the vermin frequently fastened their sharp fangs in my fingers. With the particles of the oily and spicy viand which now remained, I thoroughly rubbed the bandage wherever I could reach it. Then, raising my hand from the floor, I lay breathlessly still. At first, the ravenous animals were startled and terrified at the change, at the cessation of movement. They shrank alarmedly back. Many sought the well, but this was only for a moment. I had not counted in vain upon their voracity. Observing that I remained without motion, one or two of the boldest leapt upon the framework and smelt at the surcingle. This seemed the signal for a general rush. Forth from the well they hurried in fresh troops. They clung to the wood, they overran it, and leapt in hundreds upon my person. The measured movement of the pendulum disturbed them not at all. Avoiding its strokes, they busied themselves with the anointed bandage. They pressed, they swarmed upon me in ever-accumulating heaps. They writhed upon my throat. Their cold lips sought my own. I was 
half-stifled by their thronging pressure. Disgust, for which the world has no name, swelled my bosom and chilled with a heavy clamminess my heart. Yet one minute, and I felt that the struggle would be over. Plainly I perceived the loosening of the bandage. I knew that in more than one place it must be already severed. With a more than human resolution, I lay still. Nor had I erred in my calculations, nor had I endured in vain. I at length felt that I was free. The surcingle hung in ribbons from my body, but the stroke of the pendulum already pressed upon my bosom. It had divided the serge of the robe. It had cut through the linen beneath. Twice again it swung, and a sharp sense of pain shot through every nerve. But the moment of escape had arrived. At a wave of my hand, my deliverers hurried tumultuously away. With a steady movement, cautious, sidelong, shrinking, and slow, I slid from the embrace of the bandage and beyond the reach of the scimitar. For the moment, at least, I was free. Free. And in the grasp of the Inquisition, I had scarcely stepped from my wooden bed of horror upon the stone floor of the prison when the motion of the hellish machine ceased, and I beheld it drawn up by some invisible force through the ceiling. This was a lesson which I took desperately to heart. My every motion was undoubtedly watched. Free. I had but escaped death in one form of agony to be delivered unto worse than death in some other. With that thought, I rolled my eyes nervously around on the barriers of iron that hemmed me in. Something unusual, some change which at first I could not appreciate distinctly, it was obvious, had taken place in the apartment. For many minutes of a dreamy and trembling abstraction, I busied myself in vain, unconnected conjecture. During this period I became aware, for the first time, of the origin of the sulfurous light which illumined the cell. It proceeded from a fissure about half an inch in width, extending entirely around the prison at the base of the walls, which thus appeared and were completely separated from the floor. I endeavored, but of course in vain, to look through the aperture. As I rose from the attempt, the mystery of the alteration in the chamber broke at once upon my understanding. I have observed that, although the outlines of the figures upon the walls were sufficiently distinct, yet the colors seemed blurred and indefinite. These colors had now assumed, and were momentarily assuming, a startling and most intense brilliancy that gave to the spectral and fiendish portraitures an aspect that might have thrilled even firmer nerves than my own. Demon eyes of a wild and ghastly vivacity glared upon me in a thousand directions where none had been visible before, and gleamed with the lurid luster of a fire that I could not force my imagination to regard as unreal. Unreal. Even while I breathed, there came to my nostrils the breath of the vapor of heated iron. A suffocating odor pervaded the prison. A deeper glow settled each moment in the eyes that glared at my agonies. A richer tint of crimson diffused itself over the pictured horrors of blood. I panted. I gasped for breath. There could be no doubt of the design of my tormentors. Oh, most unrelenting! Oh, most demoniac of men! I shrank from the glowing metal to the center of the cell. Amidst the thought of the fiery destruction that impended, the idea of the coolness of the well came over my soul like balm. I rushed to its deadly brink. I threw my straining vision below. 
The glare from the enkindled roof illumined its inmost recesses. Yet for a wild moment did my spirit refuse to comprehend the meaning of what I saw. At length it forced, it wrestled its way into my soul, it burned itself in upon my shuddering reason. Oh, for a voice to speak! Oh, horror! Any horror but this! With a shriek, I rushed from the margin and buried my face in my hands, weeping bitterly. The heat rapidly increased, and once again I looked up, shuddering as with a fit of the ague. There had been a second change in the cell, and now the change was obviously in the form. As before, it was in vain that I at first endeavored to appreciate or understand what was taking place. But not long was I left in doubt. The inquisitorial vengeance had been hurried by my twofold escape, and there was to be no more dallying with the King of Terrors. The room had been square. I saw that two of its iron angles were now acute, two consequently obtuse. The fearful difference quickly increased with a low rumbling or moaning sound. In an instant, the apartment had shifted its form into that of a lozenge, but the alteration stopped not here. I neither hoped nor desired it to stop. I could have clasped the red walls to my bosom as a garment of eternal peace. Death, I said, any death but that of the pit. Fool, might I have not known that into the pit it was the object of the burning iron to urge me? Could I resist its glow? Or, if even that, could I withstand its pressure? And now, flatter and flatter grew the lozenge, with a rapidity that left me no time for contemplation. Its center, and of course its greatest width, came just over the yawning gulf. I shrank back, but the closing walls pressed me resistlessly onward. At length, for my seared and writhing body, there was no longer an inch of foothold on the firm floor of the prison. I struggled no more, but the agony of my soul found vent in one loud, long, and final scream of despair. I felt that I tottered upon the brink. I averted my eyes. There was a discordant hum of human voices. There was a loud blast as of many trumpets. There was a harsh grating as of a thousand thunders. The fiery walls rushed back. An outstretched arm caught my own as I fell fainting into the abyss. It was that of General LaSalle. The French army had entered Toledo. The Inquisition was in the hands of its enemies. Thank you all so much for listening to the, to this episode of the Weird Tales podcast. I hope you enjoyed The Pit and the Pendulum. Uh, it's one of my favorite Poe stories, um, and uh, I uh, just, it was, I, I don't know why it's taken me so long to read it, I just, but uh, there it is. Um, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for all the support that you've thrown me on Patreon. I really appreciate it. If you are not subscribed to me on Patreon and you want to be, you can uh, find me at patreon.com slash theweirdtalespodcast. Uh, there are three tier levels, one tier for general support, Three for a shout-out on the show. $10 gets you a bonus feed uh, featuring a bonus story. Uh, this story is called The Moonstone by Wilkie Collins, and it is um, it is a, just a ripping good novel. Uh, and uh, it's just it's just about to get into to the fun, to the fun of it. So um, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, special thanks to Andrew Buchanan, Daylin Bowles, and John Meadows uh, for your support. Thank you all so much, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, 
Uh, and um, I think that will do it for this week. Feel free to leave me a rating and a review on iTunes. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at WeirdTalesPod. And, uh, oh, Reignition Theory. Listen to the Reignition Theory, which features me as Mason Canerich, one of the lead roles in the show. Um, all right. Thank you all so much. Have a great week. I will see you next time.